So, Berto, did you know that we have right-wing listeners? <laughs> no. What? Yeah. yeah. Oh, welcome. Well, when I sent out a survey to all of our patrons, yeah. the vast majority were left or liberal. They identified as, as, yeah, as, as left-leaning people, tree huggers. But there are a number of right-wing or Republican or conservative, whatever mm-hmm. we want to call them, listeners. And one of them wrote in, and I, he, he asked some interesting questions that I want you to answer, Berto. Oh, I would love to. So let's do that today. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. And my name is Humberto Castaneda, and I'm a right-wing radio talk show host. I cannot find his name, which is terrible. <laughs> um, I forget. I didn't. I, I deleted his name somehow, so I can't identify him. But anyway, he writes, Dear Kirk, I am right-wing. However, like most mature-minded people, I don't totally identify greatly with either side of the political spectrum. I often find myself pondering what I consider to be the dominant philosophy of our time, which appears to be something along the lines of, life must be fair, everyone deserves a chance, especially minorities, let people be themselves if it doesn't impact on others, Formal religion is bad because aspects of it clash with these ideals. Don't be prejudiced. Greed is bad, etc. Most of this is fine and functional. However, I think it's worth reflecting on why this philosophy is so popular and remembering that it is just a set of ideals. There is no absolute truth. I imagine the Trump election shocked many since he presents an alternative view to some of these ideals. It's easy to hate on him, but that is just because the zeitgeist described above. Is it no more right or wrong than any other view? Oh, sorry. He's not asking. He's telling. It is no more right or wrong than any other view. Unquote. Berto, what do you think? Uh, okay. So, yeah, these are the some of the philosoph- philosophical questions for the ages, right? Um, if you subscribe to the idea uh, that there is um, force outside of nature that has rules about what is, quote-unquote, perfectly right and perfectly wrong, then there would be a right and a wrong. Um, Now, if you can't prove it and you can only prove it to yourself, it is what it is, but at least you would believe that there is a right and a wrong. If on the other hand, you don't really believe in a God or or something like that that is outside of nature deciding what is right and wrong, absolutely, then sure, we, you know, as a scientist, you would have to say, well, we haven't found anything specifically in the laws of physics that dictates that, that we could predict what it, or that we could even label something as right or wrong in the universe. Uh, it just is. So if you took that full philosophy to its ultimate co- consequences, you would say, sure, anything goes, anyone can do anything they want. Uh, but the fact is we live in a human society. And uh, we actually are part of it. We have, we, uh, whether we like it or not, even if we disagree with it, we are mandated in certain ways because we were born in this society. So if I could sit here and say, well, I don't agree with it. I, I think nothing is invalid. Everything should be fine. That's, that, I could say that all day long. But as soon as I break certain laws and I get caught, I will pay consequences. So what, what I think is that if you want to be part of a society that is functional, where people sort of um, 
uh, thrive and where the society survives into the future, then I think then all of a sudden you can start gauging whether something is right or wrong with that context. And you could say, does this help the society in the long term? Does it help it stick around? Does it help people thrive in that society and so forth? Right. So those are interesting questions with ambiguous answers. Just on the first thing that he said uh, that we'll get into in a second, but just a short little snippet of this is one society could determine with with data to back it up that creating a fair life for all of its citizens will not help the society move forward in the way that you have goals like building uh, structures or or having uh, law and order, for instance, Right. right? Whereas when you let everyone have personal freedom, then it increases choices that are bad by people. You know, yeah. take North Korea. I'm guessing they have less crime than the United States does, right? Yeah. And so uh, if your goal is to create a society that sustains itself and has very little crime, then, you know, blah, blah, blah. So so the the laws reflect the – the zeitgeist or the the understandings, as he's calling it, which, of course, yeah. you're saying is true. So, But anyway, from the onset of this discussion, which I'm hoping to keep short because I don't actually know that much about it, I just want to say this is not my area. This is a psychology or a psychotherapy podcast. If you want to ask me questions about psychology or psychotherapy, I can speak from authority. But in this area of philosophy and political science and history and uh, how what's best in life kind of a thing, I – have to say that's not my expert area, but I have a few uneducated, opinionated statements to say about it. To the patron who wrote in, who I deleted your name, so I'm sorry about that. Uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, many people who study history and culture and past societies will agree with you that our current understandings that life should be fair and that don't be prejudiced and let people be themselves, that is a current and you might even say even just a Western ideal. It's not even around the world. It's it's a it's a current cultural understanding, and it's not the truth, so to speak. There, there, as Berta, you're saying, there is no absolute truth. Uh, I had a very smart professor and mentor of mine who was really big on this, uh, uh, Phil Cushman, and he described very convincingly to me over hours and hours of lecturing how our current understandings in America are not the only way that humans have lived. And he would talk often about how medieval Europeans saw themselves very differently than we do, even though, you know, they are white and from the Western world and that kind of thing. But uh, even though many of these people in medieval Europe were poor and lived a very difficult life, they apparently didn't care as much because they saw themselves as part of a larger context, one that involved knowing your place in society and obeying God's will. Now, of course, we can't go back in time and actually ask them if they're actually happy. Yeah. But there's a, there's a new notion uh, in contemporary Western society that involves a, a certain amount of narcissism, like I deserve and I want to achieve and I want to, instead of where do I fit – there's yeah. not a lot of, you know, Kim Kardashian doesn't wake up in the morning and, and say to herself, how can I fit into this society well for the betterment of society? Yeah. <laughs> she wakes up in the morning and says, how can I make my brand 
beat the other brands. And this isn't just Kim Kardashian. This is Bill Gates. This is yep. this is everyone in our Western side. That's the ideal. You greed, and that's what he was getting at. Is like you know, greed is bad, uh, but at the same time, achievement is good, and blah blah blah. And I, I so I think if you look at uh, evolution and evolutionary forces, and I'm not even talking about DNA evolution. I'm talking about uh, sort of the evolution of the universe as we understand it, what we understand of it. Uh, certainly, if we don't have competition we wouldn't be here right now right in other words if if there wasn't competition between all the forces and then the the dna and so forth uh further if meaning that if there was see there were other species before us who did not compete with well with us yep and we won yep because we were smarter or lived longer. And we also got very lucky in that the atoms in this particular part of the galaxy, in this particular part of the solar system, got together a little bit more into molecules that were a little more friendly to giving more complex uh, life forms a chance and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Right? So luck had a... As I often say, we are the Kim Kardashian of the galaxy. That's right. (laughs) Now, that being said... um, so there is this sense that selfishness actually has been useful, not just human selfishness, just the selfish gene, you know, the selfish impetus of the universe, where I think as humans in modern society, you can, if you, if you start lacking empathy to the nth degree, and you're really, really just caring about yourself, uh, it's almost a short-sighted selfishness. And here's what I mean. Imagine that you say, look... I'm fine with you torturing and killing those million people there because it sounds like I'm going to make uh, $2 million or $10 million, however much. And that's good for me, right? Now, what you're not realizing, maybe because you don't have the intellectual capacity, is that by setting that standard, you're actually opening yourself to being treated that way at some point in the future, potentially. Now, you could imagine that maybe your money could protect you. But one thing that will not protect you is any sort of like rational argument why you shouldn't be treated that way. The reason historically the golden rules seem to work out is because selfishly, we didn't want to be treated poorly. And so we kind of concluded, and I'm saying this implicitly, well, since I don't want to be treated poorly, I guess if I don't treat these folks poorly, maybe they won't treat me poorly. And see, that is sort of the more strategic long-term approach to selfishness. So I I often am puzzled by the selfishness that I see among some classes of people around the world that almost care only not only about just themselves and maybe their immediate progeny, but nothing beyond that. Well, so a couple points that I, you know, I agree with most of what you're saying. The thing I'll add to it is that we likely evolved. One of the things that we probably beat out our competitors by is how socially minded we are. And how altruistic we are. Yep. We are inherently givers. We're not inherently self. We, we're all inherently selfish and we're inherently altruistic. There are examples of in the primates among bonobos in particular where they're sharing when it's not necessarily even with your kin. When you help your society, it it's uh, well, for whatever reason, we're, you know, we're we're altruistic as well. So, uh, so the, I just want to add that into what you're saying. And there's a balance to be had in the in the world, and we, none of us have the right answer. But take experimentation on animals. You know, I was just reading 
I was just reading some stuff that I'm really interested in, but unfortunately, some of the results uh, have been gotten by experimenting, by implanting things in the brains of, of simians, of monkeys and, and, and some apes. Um, it, so you have this balance of like, well, but we need to have this advancement in science. And, uh, and I really, I've said this in, in jest before, but I really believe it. If we were confronted with an alien race that was superior to us, right, we have, as a species, given up the right to claim that we are exempt from being experimented on or cattle herded because we, we have said that for us that that's okay to do to all our lower species. So when they come and we say, no, no, but, but we speak, we have, they'll be like, that's nothing. We blah, you know, blah is way better than speaking. And so you guys are so much lower than us. Sorry. I mean, we don't mean personally, but we're going to experiment on you guys. Now, what's the right answer? Do we not get to experiment at all in nature? Are plants also, should we not harm plants? Should we starve to death from not eating anything? These are hard questions. And if we actually took it to the extreme, we would probably die out as a species for being too kind, right? For being too giving or whatever. But there's a line. There is a line. There is a line. And some lines are more obvious than others. I think the one line that for most humans is easy to draw for most humans is the personal line. When someone shows up at your door and says, hey, we're going to torture you. We're going to kill you. For most humans, that line is easy to draw. Right. What, what's hard for a lot of humans is to draw that line when it's not them or when it's not someone they know. So when right now we're finding out that millions might starve, tens of millions might starve in Africa, most of us, including myself, are like, wow, that's horrible. On with our day. Right. Right, which is horrible and, and bizarre to me. Yeah. Because just because they happen to live on another continent, we could care less. We like, couldn't care right. less. But if they lived next door to us or they were our even our second cousin. Food drive. Right. <laughs> Donation. We, right we would absolutely care. It's, yeah. it, it's, it's, a, it's a strange denial that we get into. And, it, and, of course, there's been hypotheses about the 150-person rule or whatever that back in the yeah. day we our tribe consisted of about 150 people. And so mm -hmm. we quote unquote evolved to only be able to consider or have empathy for a, a, right. a small set of people on the planet. And therefore that's why we don't care about Africans. But I, I don't think that makes sense to me uh, because I Kirk can absolutely have empathy for people outside of that 150. Sure. <laughs> I just have to not believe the ideology that Africans aren't real people. You know, there's a, right. there's a, there's a understanding in America that it's like, well, they're doomed or they're overpopulating or they're not even real humans or Ethernopians. They're just, they're just this, this concept that's far away from me. And, uh, and anyway, yeah. so, so let's look at, uh, now, Having said all that, I just want to say that not all ideologies are equal, in my opinion, and, and to many uh, – and, and I just want to caveat again and say that I could have already said a bunch of really stupid stuff about history and evolution and philosophy, so it's not my area. Um, but it is true that every society decides socially it, what ideals they want to uphold, and we cannot – necessarily say which one is better but 
many people in philosophy will say that not all ideologies are equal and that by engaging in an ongoing discourse and conversations with other people, we can socially construct an understanding of what sort of ideals we want to uphold within a certain moral framework. Of course, you could say the moral framework is socially constructed too, but I, I think that it is possible for a particular society to discuss things and and come to an agreement that feels good to everybody. And I feel like we actually we often do that. And I feel like that's actually what's happening in the political discourse because that's what I hear people arguing about. They're just like, Trump's going to eliminate funding for helping bears while they hibernate or something. You know, there's just, there's all this, it, it's, it's all talk and discourse around how we as a society want to uh, apply our morals, uh, which we probably agree upon, but just don't know exactly how to enact in, in a practical sense. Anyway, but let's look at some of the cultural ideologies that, the patron identified. The first one is life must be fair. What do you think about that one, Berto? Do you think that's a that's an understanding in our society? Life must be fair. Um, I think that it, it is true that in Western society uh, there is. I say Western. I don't know how many societies, but I know that in the society I've grown up in, there is a feeling that fairness is a value and that we should try to be fair. Yeah. I don't think that there's a feeling that life is a guarantee of fairness, not at all. I also I also grew up at least in Colombia with an understanding that mostly it's not fair. Right. I think that in Colombia from my understanding they have a a better understanding that that life is not fair whereas people in Seattle have this not only the the moral belief that we should all be fair to each other, mm -hmm. but which is different than life needs to be fair. And right. I think what this patron is getting at is the, the, the second one, which is that we all deserve a fair life. And there is, I don't want to say if that's good or that's bad, but in, in some ways it's very good that we want to expect that, that we want to fight for fairness. To me, it's one of the central American ideals Right. For, to fight for fairness. To, we were founded on uh, uh, because we were being treated unfairly. Yeah. We wanted to be treated fairly. Many Americans or you know, colonists wanted, didn't want to break free of, of Britain, of the UK. They wanted to stay with them. But um, push came to shove and they yep. – and, you know, so, and uh, There's a problem with the word fair in the first place, right? Because – uh, so someone could make the claim, like, wait, what was unfair? So you had to pay taxes to a foreign king. You weren't enslaved. You weren't being tortured to death. You know, so but taxation without representation, right? Are just words, right? But I'm just <laughs> saying, like, like uh, how we apply it, uh, our our foundation. We also, when we were founded as a country, had one of the most broadest. Um, in franchisement, in fran we we gave uh, a large percentage of people the ability to vote. Yeah, even and though even though we exclude like Catholics and women. And yeah, all and but if, if you but, but we wanted to create a society in which 
people had a voice, you know, and yeah. we've always been improving on that as time goes on. And if you take the sentiment of the, you know, uh, the, the born with inalienable rights, right. I, I know that it didn't apply initially to, to a lot of people, but the sentiment in the long run was there. Right. And, so and it's why those initial phrases have been used by many countries trying to establish a more fair society. Yeah. Uh, but in the critique that I will have and that many others will have is that there's a lot of privileged people in Seattle and I'm guessing other parts of the United States and other parts of the Western world who believe that they deserve a certain level of, of life. Even I, you know, there's this notion like, say you, you get a terminal illness when you're 25. Yeah. There's a certain devastation of how unfair it is. And I would say that is unfair. But in other societies, like in Colombia, my guess is, is there's a different sense of what is fair in life, right? There's a different um, sense of life isn't always fair, is, yeah. is the thing. Because like, we've experienced a lot of unfairness around us, and just circumstantially, Things don't always work out for people. I, I will say, though, healthcare is ironically a bad example to use with most countries other than the U.S. Because, for example, my father has in the last couple of years been through like three surgeries and all these things. He is flat broke. I pay for his monthly expenses. Part of the expenses are this very, very cheap government insurance. And guess what? I have had to pay zero, zero for any of those surgeries. Yeah. Any of the treatment, any of the drugs, anything. Right. I, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> what I'm talking about is like the universe. Yeah, yeah. You know, fairness sure. kind of thing. Um, another ideal that he says that people are adhering to today is everyone deserves a chance, especially minorities. What do you think of that one? Uh, yeah, again, so this is a hard word to define. Deserves a chance could mean anything from everyone deserves a chance to go to Harvard without paying any money. Or it could mean... Everyone deserves a chance to have some access to public education from grades end to end. And, you know, like how we define fairness and chance really matters. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack there. It's I'm not sure what he means by especially minorities. It's well, and that's the other thing, because I think that there's a sentiment if okay, I didn't grow up all the time in this country. And I certainly wasn't around during the uh, worst of the abuses towards the black community. But I have to imagine that if I were black and my ancestors from just a few generations ago had either literally been enslaved or at the very least been lynched or at least been lynched or, or viciously mistreated, excluded from society, that in the 60s they would have had to drink from different fountains and stuff like that. I mean... How can someone look me in the face and say, like, dude, get over it? I know I personally might not have been in, in, in that situation, but hey, my, my dad, my grandma, someone I know directly was, and I'm now still feeling the repercussions. It's like, yeah, but you guys have had 50 years or whatever, and like, plus you don't get a job. It's like, no, listen, I live in a community that's been affected from day one. You put us all in ghettos, and the, you know, like these things are real. Yeah. And I didn't have to experience them, so I can't say, but... It's really easy to not be in that community and look and say, like, what's wrong with you guys? Right, exactly. And, when, and you have to live in that. It's hard to describe uh, yeah. to privileged people who don't have to experience what you're experiencing, what you're experiencing. Um, so, again, not sure what the guy means by 
especially minorities. But uh, I, I wonder if he means that poor white people are being excluded. Oh, I see. Uh, and not given a chance. So, and I agree with that. Like, they are. <laughs> yeah. In our society, uh, it, um, especially among left-leaning people, we're, we're pretty good at saying, look, if you're not privileged, meaning you're a woman, you're a person of color, you're trans, you're LGBTQIA. Or you're poor. You're an immigrant. Well, poverty, I think the things that I hear, poverty is not often discussed as much as as racism, sexism, transphobia, homophobia. Those are the th- I don't hear I hear much less talk about classism and much less talk about I hear about, you know, poverty in a certain community, but I I don't hear a lot of talk about poverty and I particularly don't hear a lot about poor white people who are I think statistically the most numerous poor people in the United States are white, you know? And my, my experience is it's a little different in that I think until very, very recently, the Democrats only spoke about poor people. They didn't speak about women. They didn't speak about minorities. Sure. For example, well, I don't uh, think they talked about poor people either, but... Well, no, but they, they did. They, they were at least making a claim of like, look, we need mi- higher minimum wage. We need health care for, for everyone. We need people that... We need food stamps. We need all these things, which the, the, the more right-leaning folks would be like, no, people need to pull themselves up from their bootstraps. Okay. Yeah, and and yet they weren't but, talking about gay rights. They weren't talking about yeah. blacks, uh, and they were maybe it's just about, the world that I live in, yeah. which is probably a factor. But I I also think that talking about welfare and help is just one small angle to actually helping. Yeah, do you know what I mean? So uh, yeah, I, I believe that there is a notion that everyone deserves in our society to be rich and famous. I don't know if that's what he's, I think that's kind of what he's alluding to. If I, if I'm reading yeah, through that, that I would agree is an extreme uh, definition of fairness, <laughs> right? Everyone deserves a chance is what, you know, he's saying yeah. everyone deserves a chance. And there is a notion in our society that everyone deserves to be rich and famous, which is of course impossible and, and not healthy to our society. I think. Yeah, that may, that may be how it is nowadays. I certainly remember as a kid looking at the U.S. as the place where there was a chance that if you worked hard, you could do that. Right, and know? there still is. Yeah, you know, and that's just not it's just not possible. If every single human is famous, then no one's famous. You know. Yeah. Um, now, in my opinion, after thinking and talking and listening a lot, I believe that everyone does deserve a chance. They do deserve their basic needs being met. If that's what we're talking about. You, you, you talked about some things, food, shelter, medical, uh, family, friends, leisure time, a little entertainment, um, especially since we can provide more for poor people if we were just smarter about how our financial system worked. I, and I don't just blame, you know, Trump for this at all. I blame every single government on the planet. Yeah. I, if imagine if we could just all stop going to war. Imagine if every country just stopped aggression. Imagine that. There's a song about it. <laughs> yeah. Give peace a chance. Is that the one you're thinking of? <laughs> that was the word that I was thinking. <laughs> uh, and, it, you know, we've gotten so used to war that we're, when I say that, it sounds ridiculous, but it's not. It's just a decision 
that politicians can make to not go to war. And of course, what you would say is like, well, that's wishful thinking. No, it's not. I mean, it'll never happen because it's it's never happened in the past, but it can always happen. People, yeah. uh, countries can get together and say, this is stupid. We're wasting lives. We're wasting time and we're wasting a shit ton of money. Yeah. The amount of money Americans spend on war is, I mean, just that money alone, if we just stopped that and, and spent it on food, shelter, medical, and other kinds of basic needs for everyone around the planet, we could solve half of the world's problems. But of course, that'll never happen because humans are fucking idiots. Well, so, so in, the, in the smaller countries that have corrupt governments, you know, because <laughs> ours has a corrupt government, the smaller countries with corrupt governments, uh, the, probably a large reason that this wouldn't work or doesn't work is because uh, they don't have a population with the cushy lives we live where they feel like there's a trade-off to be had. They're just like, we're poor, we're miserable. I'm being told that if I don't attack this person over here, bad, even worse stuff happens. So I guess I, we better attack these people over here. But it's the same with America. It's like, well, if we don't, you know, drone bomb these people, it's it's, it's all based on fear and retaliation and get them before they get us. But but there's there's a big difference. It's not next door to us. Number one, it's not us doing the fighting. Totally, it's it's, it's the poor the poor sons, yeah. right, and daughters, and and third, it seemingly doesn't cost us anything. It feels like it doesn't cost us anything. But of course it does cost us. Yeah, right. I mean, there's different moralities and considerations for, e for each society's involvement. But every society, every human has a choice. They can pull the trigger or they cannot. And again, it's wishful thinking. But, yeah. I, you know, I just have to wonder if we have the capacity in the future to actually stop all this. I, I think like people have said this, if they, if the rule was, look, sure. You want to go invade Iran? Fine. But here's the rules. Number one, it has to be a mandatory draft. No one is exempted. And the mandatory ones are the ones signing the authorization and to go to war. The politicians are at the front of the Chevron. That, that's what I mean. Yeah. Number two, uh, everyone is immediately taxed an, Im an immediate, like 10% war tax. Yeah. So everyone's having to pay people and money yeah. directly. I think all of a sudden there's going to be more re uh, resistance to the idea. <laughs> or how about everyone just have a fucking morality check and stop killing other people? There's other ways to work stuff out. Wave your wand. <laughs> yeah. um, other things that he says are let people be themselves. Uh, absolutely. Uh, let people be themselves. As long as it doesn't impact others, as you say, patron. Yeah. I, I think he's sort of bringing that up as a question, meaning, because I think maybe, and maybe I'm reading too much, but. No, no, no. That Absolutely. If, if he's identifying as right wing, yeah. he's absolutely saying, why should people be allowed yeah, exactly. to be themselves like, if, it, if it's so obnoxious? Like trans. Let's say we're talking about a transgender. Right. right? It's like, well, you want to be transgender. Well, listen, that's not a thing. You're just deciding to be a different gender. Right. So that affects me because it's annoying to look at and it's annoying to talk to and right. you should be what I want you to be. Right. Most people think like that, by the way. Yeah. Now, I don't know if this person thinks that way. Yeah. I'm just saying often when I hear like, yeah, people shouldn't be allowed to be 
just anything they want. Right. That's ridiculous. Well, and there, and there are some lines that we have to draw. For example, if I want to be a serial killer, well, that's what he says. Is <laughs> let people be themselves as long as it doesn't impact other sure, people. Sure, sure, And yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess the as long as it doesn't impact other people part gets gray sometimes. Serial killers, not so much. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, former religion is bad. Yes. This is a very common thought or belief among liberals that I hang out with. Um, I personally don't agree with it at all. Any institution especially large institutions, especially institutions with a lot of history, have good and bad things about it. And uh, it's just a matter of deciding within – for instance, there are formal religious institutions that we can agree are doing mostly good, and there are formal religious institutions that we can agree are doing mostly bad. So it's not formal religion. It's what you do with it. It's like saying communication is bad. It's like, well, there's – there's bad communication. There's good communication. Yeah, I actually, I've, um, I used to feel that way. Uh, you know, I would just kind of my generic statement would be like, yeah, I think like organized religion is bad. I've evolved my thinking in two ways. One, I absolutely still believe that historically and still to present day, the Catholic Church is a terrible organization. But other than that, and many others that I'm sure I could investigate and look into. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's especially being from Columbia, yeah. if you want to just sort of one story is invading, raping, and yeah, killing, and da-da-da, an entire <laughs> continent. <you laughs> yes. Know? But, um, but actually, I've, this might be even more controversial. I actually think that one of the barriers to— But having said that, just for our Catholics out there, some people might say, well, they did it in the name of Catholicism, but it wasn't true Catholicism. No, it, it's, a, it's true. I'm, I'm it, just saying, like—, right. like But, it, but it's—, it's um, that's, but that is why people say organized religion, yeah. because they are, in fact, the point they're making is that they're co-opting the belief to do these horrible things. Yeah. Now, what I'm saying is actually that I, I tend to believe nowadays that the fact that we allow ourselves to have this corner of our mind that is reserved for belief in stuff without any proof, um, even though it is part of our freedom it does tend to get in the way of being able to act rationally as a society because then you end up in conversations like, well, we should do this for the environment or something. And then someone can say, well, I actually don't think so. I don't have evidence, but trust me, I believe that because of my religion or something like that. Right. And, so, and then it's, a, it's, an, it's an impasse. We can't even move forward from that. Right. To be yeah. specific, I think you're referring to people who deny global warming because they think that God will actually end the earth soon anyway. Yes. So what's the difference? Or we'll provide in some other way or whatever. Yeah. Or even the devil is creating global warming, global warming to test your faith. That's right. Or if, if global warming becomes a problem enough, God will save us because yeah. God is watching. And, and it's, it's impossible to argue against that because it's, then they group it together with, well, that's just my belief. Right. And having said that, there are plenty of Christians who are who don't think that way at all and are super uh, pro um, understanding of global warming and Absolutely. Yeah. I, I I'll say this. Look, I would I would have zero zero problem with religion, I would say, if it was of this kind. It was like religion is the thing that you believe either privately or in groups that is your explanation of reality 
but only in in so far as it doesn't interfere with our day to day practical reality. Yeah, and and many religions don't even care to explain reality. Yeah, you know, I, I guess what what I meant by that was like, but but there are many religious uh, practices and groups who actually very much are interested in yeah. explaining reality. I, yeah, what I meant by that was more like, look, if, if you believe that uh, the crowd Well, what you're created, saying is, don't let your religion get in the way of, of Umberto's life, is what you're saying. <laughs> of our lives. Of our yeah, lives. Yes. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. If you believe the crab created everything, that's fine. As soon as that crab tells you that every third child should be slaughtered, we have a problem. Yeah. And, you know, the spaghetti monster said... It's going to get us all eventually anyway. So uh, the last one here is don't be prejudiced. Um, yeah, I, I get that. But I personally don't care that much about prejudice. I mean, obviously, prejudice isn't great. But I care more about fairness and uh, and whether or not something harms someone. You know, if if you're a super prejudiced person and you prejudge, you know, all day long, but you're totally fair to people and you never harm anyone, then then to me, that's fine. You know, you can think what you want to think, but just be fair and don't harm other people. Now, yeah. it, if you're super prejudiced, it's going to be real hard to be fair and real hard not to harm people because it's going gonna, it's gonna to come out. To me, this one is another one of those uh, inabilities that most of us humans have uh, to use logic because totally. it, go, it goes something like this. Uh, and I'm going to use the specific example. Uh, we are seeing that the the folks that we have problems with in the Middle East are Islamic. We are seeing that many of these Islamic folk say, not billions, but I say a few that you see on TV and things like that, say, we want to do you harm. We want to bring the end of your life and stuff like that. We see some of them attack our country. Okay. So then what, what we say is like, well, okay, well then... The next time I see someone that looks like that, like a Sikh, I need to ask them and stop them and detain them because they might be one of them, right? And the break in logic is, look, going back to point one, life's not fair. Just because the ones that you saw on TV spouting hatred, quote unquote, look in, in, you can classify them in a group that is a billion strong or at least a hundred million because they don't all look the same anyways, right? It doesn't imply what you think it implies. Yeah. That logic doesn't work that way. <laughs> right. And it's not hard to stretch the mind to imagine what you're saying because everyone has experienced prejudice. Yeah. If you're a man, you've been prejudged to be a certain way that you didn't, that that's you were right. like, well, that's not accurate. Uh, for, for me, uh, people often, every once in a while, people will treat me as if I don't clean my own house. Yeah. They'll be like, oh, you know, Kirk, you know, yeah. you got to clean the toilet every now and then. And it's like, Umberto, you know me. It's yeah. just like, I'm... Fastidious. I, I, yeah, I, I'm a clean person. I'm like, uh, your prejudgment of me as a male is just right. totally inaccurate. Like, you if know? you looked at me and you're like, Umberto, you must like like partying and like sort of having a good time at parties. That's totally unfair. Yeah. And so, uh, everyone's experienced, whether you're privileged or not, you've experienced the, the bad end of prejudice. And so, it's not hard to stretch the mind a little bit and say, like, well, yeah. maybe I'm prejudging other people. Well, and the irony is that, you know, we were talking about, like, people expect fairness and that should we really expect fairness? The irony is that the implication is, but see, if we don't use prejudice, 
it's going to be so hard to tell who can harm right. us. In other words, profiling. And, yeah. And, you know, I, there's a huge debate about that because, like, that one video that was out the other week about that kid, he's, like, 11, and yeah, he's yeah. being totally frisked right. when it's obvious he's not a terrorist. And it's, some people will say, like, he's 11, like, let it go. Or a grandma, that yeah. obviously. And so it's, it's so that you'll hear people say, like, in in one sentence, in one way, they'll be like, "Well, shouldn't you just?" They don't. They're obviously not a terrorist. It's it's a grandma. It's an eleven year old boy. Let it go. But if you profile in the other direction, then it's bad. So you can't have both. You know. Well, what I mean? and, but uh, and again, it's it's like this. Number one, if the question is like, "But then it becomes so hard," it's like, "I know life's not fair. It's hard. There are bad people in the world. We don't know who they are." Some of them look this way, some of them don't. And guess what? As soon as you make it public that you will never pull aside a boy or a grandma, guess what's going to happen? Well, if I'm a bad person, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hide stuff in a grandma's purse. Yeah. That's literally my next move. Right. But at the same time, I bet you statistically most airline crimes of the sort that we're trying to catch have been committed by at least men. Right. Yeah, of course. So now women will like carry drugs or stuff, but I, I don't, I, I can't think of an example where a I'm not woman... saying the grandma's going to do it. I'm <laughs> saying I would use the grandma. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I don't know the answer to any of that question. I, I think I'm coming across like I think I have an answer, but I, but, I really but, don't. But but, but, my, but the larger I also point... don't. I'm just saying it is a hard question. Yeah. But we don't get to skip the hard, difficult part about it. Just because we don't want to be pre- just sorry, just because we think it's hard if we if we don't get to be prejudiced, yeah, you know. And, and also, we should say that the security is a joke and it's just theater, and there are plenty of ways to get around it that are known. And uh, it's um, some people say it's just there to make the passengers feel safe when in fact they're totally it, not safe. You know, though, I, I will say something. Or the fact that people are actually safe because there's a very low percentage of people who actually want to harm you is the thing. That right could now. be true. But I, I will say one thing that I heard uh, a few years ago because I sort of felt the same way. And someone from Israel that, that I worked with made this point to me that they they actually do have a high risk there all the time. And, and they take very aggressive measures. And they do stop tons of bad stuff from happening. So, and I'm not, that's not a good place to live. I mean, that's, sorry, that's not a good state of being. But it is possible through sort of consistent measures to minimize the, the threat. The difference, I guess, is that Israel has much less compunction about not profiling and about, so I think they probably have things, practices we wouldn't approve of. You know, maybe I don't know. This is again not my area. Uh, speaking of right wing, I had a dream about Bill O'Reilly last night. Uh-huh. Did you? Did I tell you about this dream? <laughs> no. I was at a party and we were sitting on a couch and having a beer, and there's all these people around, and I was trying to get him to open up because I was like, "Oh, it's Bill O'Reilly. Like I, I want him to." <laughs> so I heard he went through this recent scandal. Did you know the scandal? Yeah. Oh yeah. And I was like, oh, I, I want him to open up about the scandal. Did he have his loofah with him? Uh, and he he did. He started opening up to me. And it was one of those situations where we're kind of at this party and there's all these people around, but no one's listening in on our conversation. So yeah. it was like in public, but no one was listening except for me. And he started opening up about being uh, ha- having 
impulse control around sexual right. come-ons and how his job is very stressful. And when he's on set, he's, he's kind of in a heightened state and he gets, you know, part of his persona is he needs to be aggressive because right. that that's what gets him the ratings. And he's, and he's, he's really not that way in real life, but that's what the producers want from him and the listener and the watchers want from him. And so he kind of becomes this other character and, and then he, there are parts of his, you know, personality that are not so nice and he knows that, but, and, and he started crying. Wow. And he's, and I was like, cause I was asking him questions like, well, how do you think these women feel? You know, right. like, and, and all the, like how many, how many women I mean, we've heard from some, but yeah. how many more have not come forward? And, and, you know, these are human beings, Bill. These are, <laughs> you're like Bill, <laughs> these are human beings. Like the, these are, these are, you know, these aren't objects, you know, their feelings are hurt and they, they feel, um, they go home at night and feel bad about themselves and about you. And, and they feel trapped and they feel like violated and they don't know how to get out of that all because you can't rein it in a little bit. And he started crying. And he admitted he was wrong and he was really remorseful. And then he was like, uh, I got to, I got to leave the party. I got to, I got to go. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, I get it. And he, he stood up and then it was a party of, of all my friends or someone. And like uh -huh. everyone looked at Bill as he sort of, cause when he stood up, he kind of drew attention back to him a He's little bit. He's a tall guy. Yeah. And everyone's kind of, um, glaring at him and, you know, a couple things being said under their breath. And like, I felt bad for Bill cause he had just right. opened up and seen the light. And so I walked, I, I, I made a gesture to walk over cause people didn't realize he was really talking to me. And suddenly it's like, Bill O'Reilly stands up and he's walking through the crowd. And so I got up and went over to him and put my hand on his back on as, his butt? as a, <laughs> sexually harassed him. <laughs> I put my hand on his back and as a show to all of my friends that, to lay off a little bit, you know, like, yeah. like, and I wanted to show him like, look, I'm with you. Um, it's a funny dream, huh? That is very interesting. But did it feel very real, very vivid? Yeah. It, it, until there was this one moment where I took out my cell phone, I think in the dream and there was a menu and I was trying to read it. Oh, and yeah. I read the first line and I think it said like Forbes or something. <laughs> And then, and then the second word was like total nonsense. And then the, th and I was like, what? And then I was like, I thought about just turning away from the cell phone cause it was confusing me. Uh -huh. But then I decided, no, I should probably look into this even further. And so I tried to read the next four really fast oh. and I realized, oh, I must be dreaming. I see. <laughs> it's, it's one of the ways that I can somewhat lucid dream is, is to read something because yeah your brain can't invent uh, words for you to read. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it doesn't have that resolution. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't have that um, ability to create something outside of your awareness that you will discover. Do you know what I mean? Like when you read something, you're discovering it. You didn't know it was there. You know what I'm saying? I do, although I feel like you could... If It's easier to create a sudden thing that's coming at you like yeah. a dog or something, but to create 
a whole Something sentence of so, specific yeah. letters and words. Not only an, an idea could jump out at you, but specific font, yeah. a specific uh, wording, and that's just too much for the brain to suddenly... D- and for your eyes to scan back and forth among the words, you know what I mean? Yeah, I just feel like you could imagine that you're doing that, you know? Just like you can imagine that you're flying, or you could... Imagine but but, but flying you're... is easier to imagine. Like right now, imagine three sentences in your head. You can't do it. No. You can imagine one word at a time, yeah. but you can't imagine three sentences. What I mean is the feeling of it. Like, you know, sometimes in my dream, I, I, I get that thing where I can't punch. It's like molasses. Right. But then I'm like, no, I am. I am punching. I, I am fight. That is what's happening. You know, like I, I'm like, right. yeah, that is well, what's yeah, totally. happening. Like, right? like there are times when I'm reading Yeah. when I'm like, I... Th- I'm reading something, but... You're not physically... Yeah, exactly. But it's hard for me to... Like, what am I reading? You know, I'm sort of, like, yeah. confused. I had I had a wake-up the other morning that was so bizarre. I was having a very vivid dream. But then when I woke up, I was still in that in-between state. And I could see in my mind's eye all these half images flashing with kind of cutouts of other images. And... And then it took like a few, maybe 30 seconds of that. And then I finally woke up and I, I almost got the feeling that my conscious mind was waking up faster than the dream presenter. And so my conscious mind was being presented these fragmented images that my, normally my dreaming mind would be dealing with. And my conscious mind is like, what the fuck is that? Because it had a person and a thing and part of a building, but it was all like, but it was all like not lined up. It wasn't one image and it was sort of at a different frame rate than reality. Right. It was yeah, really I mean, when I hear stories like that, I'm like, well, no wonder we have schizophrenia. Yeah. Because we're just a couple neurons away yeah. from hallucinating. Yeah. You know, it, so anyway, um, just to finish it out here, uh, patron Jed, uh, he, he likes to uh, send me extremely philosophical questions that I can't answer, but I thought I would just throw them out to you and hear a quick answer from you, Berto. So I'm going to ask five questions and then just... Just you, All right. you got to answer for Patron Jed because he's a very smart dude. <laughs> We're going to do it. Okay. Why are people attracted why are people attracted to certain pieces of media rather than others? Why do we watch and read the things that we do? What are the political implications of this? Who benefits? What are the actual what is the actual structure of power within the media? Berto, tell me. Oh, I've got all the answers luckily. <laughs> I think it goes back um in, in the writings that you can read about, like Roman times, things that were graffitied, the writings from people at the time, uh, I think the idea of uh, propaganda is very old. Very old. And it resonates with the way Commu- us... Communication to benefit your own life somehow. Yeah, you, basically. Often through power. Pro- the, 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 the word for advertisement in Spanish is propaganda. Right. Literally. Yeah. So, you know, and then as humans, we are conditioned. We've talked about this in different contexts. We're conditioned to find patterns in things, but we're also biased. And that bias has a lot of advantages for us when we were, you know, not so advanced in our civilization. Because having biases helps us be like, you know, that thing looks like this berry that killed John the other day. So I'm probably going to avoid that thing. You know, and so having biases was actually an advantage. And so then now we're listening to a message and we are forming patterns that are probably not there and being biased. Well, the things that are going to make 
resonate more with us if we don't think about it too much are things we sort of already believe, things that confirm our bias. So if you sit there and I see a billboard that says, be afraid of bears, and I'm, I'm afraid of bears. I'm be like, that's right. That, that billboard is right. So I, my, my hypothesis is that we will be attracted to media that tends to confirm our biases. And I think that political power knows this not as a big cabal, but just in general, there is a study of how to leverage public messaging to further ideas. Now, in more recent years, as it's probably been read in the media and stuff like, I don't know if you've, you've seen these articles, but they're actually using, you know, predictive science and machine learning to plant these phrases and things in, in, in social media to actually influence people in these ways. So they're actually using science now, not just kind of the general idea of propaganda to, to influence people on mass scales. Right, because today we have the ability to instantly measure behavior yeah. in a way that was a lot harder in the past. Yeah. Psychologists would have to, and marketers would have to spend a lot of money to bring people in the lab. Yeah. Whereas today, Facebook is on a microsecond basis gathering data on yeah. behavior and all they have to do is like, well, with half of our people in Seattle, we'll put this particular thing. Yep. With the other half, we'll put this particular thing. What is the difference between these two groups? Blah blah yep. blah. And they they have complete. They have the right to do that. It's their it's their website. They That's can right. they can do that if they want to. Uh, I, I, the only thing I'll caveat this with the the, the 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 sort of interesting thing about this is that most of these websites are left leaning. Yeah. So it's uh, the, the one thing I'll caveat with all this is that um, that doesn't mean all media is corrupt, all media is government controlled, all media is always lying. That's not true. Those are also fabrications. The fact is, there's many people that are professionals. They work in the media and they believe themselves be as that that they are reporters and they try to break news stories. And they, of course, have their own biases, but they try to try to be impartial about it. These these are people. These are real people that exist and they work in all sorts of parts of the media right and left. Okay. Um, so it's not it's not all true even though there is propaganda and there is government control of part of the media. All right, patron Jed, there you go. There's your answers. All right, at the end here, I just want to remind everyone to become a patron of the podcast. I also want to remind everyone that I'm not an expert on politics or history or evolution or any of those things. Whereas so, I am on all of them. So everything we just talked about in this <laughs> podcast is, as we say, talking out of my ass, which... Uh, Wait, does that make me your ass? <laughs> uh, one of our patrons, I can't remember who she was, she's like, I like a good ass talking every now and then, so <laughs> go ahead and ass talk. So we just ass talked our asses off. Um, become a patron of the podcast. Uh, we have 427 patrons. We need about another 200-ish to reach our next goal, which is we will start donating to PetFinder, which is an organization that helps save pets from being euthanized by taking care of them and connecting them with a loving home via PetFinder.com, which is how I found my two cats who were uh, on the streets in Beirut, Lebanon, and then... Through petfinder.com, they are now sleeping on my bed. So now let's give away some swag. So I'm going to scroll through the patrons, and then you say stop. But I'm going to only pick the first person that's near my pointer here that has a picture on Patreon. Oh, because the vast majority of people on Patreon 
actually, Jed is one of the people who has a who has a picture of himself on Patreon. I, it, you know, it's one thing to just know your name and everything, but it's another thing to see your face. Right. Just be like, oh, okay. That and it helps me to remember you too. Like I actually can picture Jed in my head. I have a Jed in my head <laughs> whenever he emails me because I'm like I, his pictures on Patreon. So. I would love it if people could actually upload, you know, a face shot yourself. So I'm going to scroll down and, and then we're going to pick someone. Right. You're going to incentivize pictures. Yeah. Okay. So I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, 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 scrolling. Stop. Okay. Julia. Julia from Queensland. Ooh. Queens, uh, Queensland, Australia. I feel like I already sent stuff to Julia. <laughs> Let's, I'll choose another picture. Erica. Uh, what if you didn't? And now she's like, what? You didn't? Ah. Erica from Melbourne, Australia. All right. Apparently, we have a lot of people in Australia that upload pictures. But anyway, we have Julia and Erica, who I will both be sending. I'll sending you both swag. Um, sending swag across seas, is some, I sometimes get returned to sender. So I just send it to the address that's on Patreon. So... Hopefully it'll work. I think it usually works. Okay. But anyway, please become a patron so that we can see your picture and then I can scroll down to you and then send you swag <laughs> in the mail. Uh, and I get to see you. Um, okay. Uh, oh, I remember Julia, actually. Julia has been an emailer. Has Erica been an emailer? Uh, I feel like maybe. Anyway, so that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please talk out of your ass within reason and take care of yourself because... You deserve to talk like that. <laughs>